Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Dr. T, who is a sports psychiatrist, and Dr. T and I are going to be discussing mental health and mental considerations for athletes. Maybe you're an athlete listening to this who's currently recovering from injury, or maybe you're facing some performance deficits, or maybe you're just feeling stressed and overwhelmed by the weight of trying to carry athletic life with school life, with personal and social life, and so many things going on. And I hope that this podcast serves as a great resource and insight for you uh, today. Now, it's important for me to note that this episode does not replace mental health intervention from a qualified individual such as Dr. T. If you or someone you know needs mental health services, I highly recommend you reach out to a qualified provider or practitioner and get the services that you need. Enjoy this episode. Dr. T, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today. Appreciate it, Dan. For people who might not be familiar with you or the Mindset Experience podcast or any of the amazing things that you do, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and what you do on the day-to-day? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a little bit of background about me. So I was an athlete. Um, I'm still an athlete, but I was a very competitive athlete. I was a former division one athlete. I was a wrestler. Um, that was always my passion was to get into teaching and coaching, you know, growing up when my parents asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was very clear that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. Um, they sort of actively discouraged it more so because they wanted me to be financially comfortable and they were hardworking immigrants that had come to this country and, you know, wanted to set us up to really be successful and to continue to be successful. Um, so that was something that they really preached was sort of higher levels of education and even medicine. But I always kind of was drawn to that teaching and coaching model. And so I was fortunate enough to wrestle at the division one level. I was a teacher and a coach actually for a year and then had the opportunity to apply to medical school and was fortunate enough to get in um, and decided to specialize in psychiatry mostly because it centered around the brain. And I thought that was the most important muscle. And the fact that that was a field of medicine where you could really build relationships and motivate others to be their best. So, you know, where I'm at at this point is I've really combined my knowledge and experience as a competitive athlete, as a medical doctor and a mental health professional. And I provide education support and mindset training for athletes, teams, coaches, competitive businesses, military first responders. Um, Through those experiences, I started a podcast a couple of years ago, and that was really on a challenge of somebody saying to me, wow, you're really inspirational, motivational. You should do a podcast. And the first words that came out of my mouth were, that seems like a lot of work. And as soon as I said that, I knew I had to do it because if I'm motivating other people and challenging other people to be able to be their best and to overcome barriers and obstacles, I need to be able to continue to live it. And I'm a big believer that if I'm going to teach it, I have to live it. So that's where the podcast came out of. And, um, it's been a great opportunity to really kind of educate and inspire and empower on a larger level, right? Because there's only so many people that can be able to come in and actually meet with me one-to-one. And, you know, as you were talking, I would imagine you probably learned from your own athletic experience just how important the mental side of athletics is or how important that brain muscle that you mentioned is to overall performance, right? Like, you know, you even see it in the professional level where there's individuals that physically are the most gifted, the most talented ever, but if they don't have their mental health or mental side of things in order, for lack of a better way to put it, their entire performance crumbles. And I mean, every year you throw on baseball or football 
people go into a slump. And I would imagine that's more mental than physical most of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's two parts of your question. One is my own experiences. You know, wrestling is an incredibly mentally grueling sport. You know, people don't realize it when they watch, but you have to be incredibly smart and intelligent, right? You have to think multiple steps ahead. If I do this, they might do this. If I do this, they don't do this. You can be completely prepared and get caught off guard. And then you have to rebound. Um, you have to figure out what you're going to do. So there's a constant mental struggle, if you will, and a mental match and a challenge going on in addition to the physical challenge. The other thing is that at the end of it, one person gets their hand raised and the other doesn't. And you have to be accountable to yourself, right? I mean, there might have been calls didn't go your way or this happened or that happened, but you can't really blame it on anybody else and say, well, if this person had made this catch or if this person had done this, we wouldn't have been in this situation because ultimately it came down to you. And so I think that with that, you learn a lot. You learn about grit, character, hard work, resilience, all of these things which are incredibly important in life, right, outside of the sport. So that's something I learned a lot through my sport. I didn't quite realize how much you could train that mental muscle if you were at that point because it wasn't something that was really being talked about a lot. And then when it was, it was really kind of vague and generic and it was just kind of like visualize, believe in yourself, more pieces of advice or guidance, but not active training models. Um, the other side of it is now you talk about sort of at these higher levels, you see it all the time. I mean, when you get to the division one level even, right? I mean, you're talking about professional, but when you get to the division one level, everybody is good. Everybody is very good, right? I think that sometimes we have a diluted sense depending on the circles that we run in, but how incredibly difficult it is to be able to play at the collegiate level, whether it's D1, 2, or 3, frankly. And at that level, the gap between the greatest players and the players that are quote-unquote good is very, very small, right? And in my opinion, that difference is mindset. It's mental, right? And then you get to the professional level, it's even further because again, such a small percentage of people are talented enough and skilled enough to be able to get to that level. And when you see somebody show up and they're just like going all out and other people are in a slump or they have the yips or, you know, they can't get it together. They got to get out of their own head or their head case or whatever these terms are that we say, like clearly at that point, it's not that they're not training physically enough. It's not that they're not talented enough. It's not that they don't have enough skill or experience. It's that something is happening upstairs in their mind. And to me, the reason I say it's the most important muscle is because it controls everything else, right? It's the one that tells the other muscles to work in a certain way. It's the one that reads a situation or a coverage um, and says, get your arms up or make a cut here or pivot here or swing at this pitch or whatever it is. It comes from up here and we spend so much time training everything else but then when we don't achieve the level of success that we want or we fall short of our goals, right? Like that piece right there is our mind. And there are ways to train your mind that I think people are not as fully aware of like we are about training your body. Right. You're absolutely right about that. I can't think of the last time I've seen someone go to like a mind gym or a mental gym, you could say. Uh, but I see athletes all the time getting physically stronger or physically training. Uh, so as far as what that mental training or mental gym might look like, what kind of exercises or what kind of things would you look at giving to an athlete who wants to start to strengthen their mind and improve their mindset around sport, or maybe they're recovering from injury and they want to kind of bolster themselves mentally as they you know, recover physically as well? Yeah. So I would say first, let's take a step back because when you yep. have an athlete go into a physical gym, mm -hmm. 
right? The first thing that they're doing, ideally, right, when they're working with a strength and conditioning coach, or they're working with a physical therapist, or they're working with an athletic trainer, or they're working with a personal trainer, is sort of identify who that person is, what their sport is, what their skill set is, what they need to develop, what their strengths are, what their deficits are, what their goals are, right? Yeah. Like, usually there is a conversation about why they're there, what again, what they need to build up, and then there's a plan that gets put in place, right? So I think it's important. And then that plan is catered to that individual, right? Again, at the higher levels, everybody can go to the gym and sort of like get on a bench press and they can get on a shoulder press and they can do lat pull downs and that's fine. And you'll get stronger. But if you really want to train like an athlete, you train more specifically to your sports, right? And some need more strength and conditioning, something to more mobility, you know, baseball pitchers are not doing bench press and shoulder press like maybe a football player is, right? Um, even a lineman is lifting differently than a wide receiver or quarterback. So I think it's important to understand the individual and the context of what they need. And the reason I bring that up is when you talk about sort of that mindset and mental gym piece, it's important to understand that it's not sort of a one-size-fits-all, right? Like we have mm -hmm. these statements in these books, they talk about like confidence and visualization and affirmation and you know, what you say to yourself and when you do it and setting goals and all those things are true in sort of the concepts. But I think it's also important to understand, like understanding somebody's learning profile, understanding somebody's own mental health vulnerabilities, others understanding somebody else's experiences that they've had and how that fills into it, their support system. Those are all things that when you understand that you can better integrate some of those mental skills, right? Or their mindset skills. Now, that being said, some of the concepts we talk about, right, are really identifying and creating a process that we're doing things, right? We talk about being intentional with how we approach goal setting. Um, visualization is a big skill that I teach, but I do it in a different way than I think it is often done. I explain how the brain works. I can explain the connection between in the brain and the body. I cite specific scientific evidence that people can understand in a language that they can understand. So they understand like, oh, this is a real thing. It's not just like, Go believe in yourself, but we break it down into a process. Um, I do something called intentional breathing, which is different than the way most people breathe and the most the way that most people are taught how to breathe, which again is more tied into the way that our body works physiologically that actually maximizes oxygen intake, helps with muscle recovery and endurance and strength, and helps us be able to regulate our heart rate and focus our mind. Um, we talk about language, what to say, what not to say, how to say it integrating some of these things into our training. And with each of them, we have ways that we train them, right? Like sets, reps, when, how, all of that stuff is done in, in, in Dr. T's mental gym, if you will. Right. And it's not just like, Hey, go be positive and believe in yourself. And if you believe it, you can achieve it. And like, best of luck. That's again, I think where the mental performance space really falls short is we don't do enough explanation about the biology and the physiology like we do in the physical space. And you don't have to be a medical doctor to be able to explain physiologically what's happening in your body when you're doing a clean or when you're doing a snatch or when you're doing certain exercises, right? Like you can have a basic understanding and explain that to an athlete and they're like, oh, I get why I'm doing this and why I have to do it this way and why I have to be very specific to my form. That's where I think in the mental space, we don't do that enough. And that's where it falls short. 
Right. No, I completely agree. And, you know, as you mentioned, too, there's a lot of different terminology in the mental space. Um, and I think that a lot of the terminology gets thrown around and it's, you know, there, there's athletes that I've worked with that kind of come in for physical therapy with this belief that if they just do this one thing, they'll mentally get better, they'll mentally become resilient, and their mindset will be fine, right? You know, if I just add in this affirmation every day, then mentally, I'm going to be ready to go out on the field, I'm going to stay, you know, mentally right all season long, and so on. Or if I just do this one um, breathing exercise, right, if I just box breathe every day, then I'm going to be fine. And as you're kind of mentioning in the comparison from mental to physical, um, health here and the overlap is, you know, you don't just go to the gym and do one exercise to improve your sport. You don't just go to the gym and do the same thing over and over again. There's a little bit of variety and you ultimately look to develop some kind of routine that you can repeat um, that's going to continue to help you improve your performance. And I would imagine the same as you were talking holds true mentally is it's not just one thing that gets you there. It's the combination of multiple um, interventions done for the right person at the right time. And once you've developed your own, I'll say like approach to uh, improving your mental health, then you have to repeat it regularly like you would at a gym to get stronger or get faster or whatever you're improving. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate the way you said it. I also think as an athlete, we get that. We get that physically. We get that you can't just show up whenever you want and like get on a squat rack and like go at it and you're going to be good for the next three weeks. Like you like you have to work at it. You have to train at it. You have to be very systematic. You have to understand like when you do it and how you do it and, and the mindset that you have to get into that. Like we can get that. And so if you start to explain it in a way that's athletic related and also in the fact that like when we go to the gym and we do those things, we're not only like preventing injury, we're building strength, right? We're building endurance, like all of those things. And so again, the mindset mental piece is oftentimes athletes sort of think about it as, well, if I do this every once in a while, I should be good. Or like, if I'm struggling, I'll start do that. But like, you don't go to the gym when you're injured to start lifting. You go ahead of time so that you can be better on the field or in on the court or in the pool or on the wrestling mat or wherever your arena is so that you can actually be better and prevent injury. And I think that and you got to keep working at it, right? That's how you get stronger. That's how you get bigger. That's how you get faster. Like all of those things. And so mentally, if you take that same concept over and realize this is more of a proactive preventative thing to not only prevent mental injury or illness, but also to be able to optimize performance and confidence, then I think you start to develop a different way of training it very similar to the physical way. And that's a concept that athletes know, they understand. They just need to understand that it can be done the same way from a mental or mindset standpoint. Right. What benefits would you say you see in the athletes you work with from using these mental interventions on the performance side and even the prevention of mental injury or illness, as you just mentioned there, do you see, you know, people are reacting better or do people have a better, um, you know, a lower heart rate and better stress control or what kind of benefits physiologically would you say you see in response to this? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you an example that just happened recently. I've been working with a very competitive swimmer um, and, you know, we taught him a couple of mental skills and you know, in one of our sessions and two weeks later, he came back and he was like, I can't believe it. He goes, in two weeks, I've per I've op been done better on this skill, right? Than I have in the last two years of working on it. He goes, I've worked on this skill diligently for two years and I've made progress. 
but not like I did in the last two weeks. And he goes, and the only difference is that I was doing what you were teaching me, right? And, and in that sense, he saw a difference in his performance. Now, then his confidence went up. Then his anxiety went down, right? Then his motivation went up about like, I want to keep doing this, right? So that's an example right there of just the difference in in where we can go. I had another individual that, you know, was struggling, kind of was having, you know, was performing really, really well and then kind of got got caught up a little bit and was struggling and was like, Dr. T, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like it's mental because I was playing really well and now I'm not. And we kind of reaffirmed a couple of things that we had talked about and kind of reframe them. And I gave him a couple of other suggestions. And the next time out, he performed better than he had performed all those other times. And he was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Like, and I said, what can't you believe? Like you did what we said, like we had a plan and a process and you did it. And he's like, but it's amazing. Like it really was mental. So those are two examples, I think from the performance side. Um, the other thing that I see so much is that anxiety levels go down the ability to be resilient and like navigate stressors significantly improves. And so even people that are like really down or demoralized or even depressed, like when you learn how your brain works and you learn what you can do to be able to navigate your thoughts and influence your emotions um, by doing some of these things, and that's incredibly validating and empowering. And so then this thought of like, I can't, it's too hard really, really shifts because then you're like, no, but I can, and I know how to, and I just need to do it, but I know how to do it. And I have a plan. So it becomes a lot easier. And that just, again, feeds into the way that our brains work and our brain chemistry. And so then we stimulate certain neurochemicals, which helps with motivation, attention, and effort, and we're able to do them. And then that reinforces and we get more neurochemicals and then we want to do it even more. And so those are all, by the way, the neurochemicals that medications work on. So, you know, this can really help either limit the need for medicine or really supplement what medication can do. And I think it's worth mentioning as a psychiatrist, which is what I am, I do prescribe medication as well in instances. So I think it's also important to understand that like, it's not like, Hey, if you do all this stuff, you're never going to struggle with mental illness or anybody with mental illness. All they need to do is like, believe it and they can achieve it. I think it's really an understanding of this is another way of training your mind. Um, just like we train our bodies. Nutrition is important. Rest is important. Hydration is important. Sometimes we need certain supplements. Like all of those things are important for our physical health in addition to training physically. And from a mindset mental health standpoint, sometimes there is a role for medications. There's a need for other therapeutic interventions, but this is another skill where you can build up your mind. Right. Completely agree. And, you know, just continuing to draw the parallels from mental to physical. I mean, a few weeks ago, there was a patient that I was working with that had pain that wasn't going away. And they asked about trying a cortisone injection. And I said, look, you know, plain and simple, it's another modality that can help relieve physical pain. So they did it, they relieved their symptoms. And, you know, I would say that there's nothing wrong with being in a role where, you know, you say, look, you know, sometimes I can achieve everything through, you know, physical intervention or mental intervention alone. But sometimes you have to step back and recognize that you can't do everything. And sometimes having something medically uh, to supplement what you're doing can really help you get where you need to be. Um, especially in the way of illness or other, um, you know, impairment that way. Uh, you mentioned that you are a sports psychiatrist and you have a medical doctor background. 
So for individuals who maybe they don't understand what a sports psychiatrist is over a sports psychologist and what that difference is and who should who they should seek in a certain um, you know case by case situation, did you mind would you mind kind of explaining that a little bit for those listening today? Yeah, no, I appreciate and I appreciate the question because I think we talk a lot about language and what to say and what not to say. And I think that we use language sometimes very interchangeably. And so people don't quite get it. So, you know, a psychologist is somebody that is typically, you know, in the true sense of the word, typically they are a PhD level doctoral person. So they're still called doctor. They've achieved a PhD. Um, sometimes they do clinical work. Sometimes they do research work. Sometimes they do testing. But their ability is to work with people, talk with people, provide therapy. They can do sports performance stuff. A psychiatrist, the difference there is it's a medical doctor, right? It's a medical degree. So you go to medical school like every other medical doctor does, surgeons, pediatricians, you know, OBGYNs, uh, primary care doctors, sports medicine doctors. So we go to medical school and then everybody sort of takes the same subjects and courses and learns how to be a doctor, learns how to be a real doctor if you will, and then decides, all right, I want to go specialize in this field or this field or this field. And then they get extra specialization in that. Where it applies, practically speaking, is being a medical doctor, You have, I think you have a better understanding, truthfully, of the way the mind and the body works, right? Really understanding organ systems, understanding uh, medical illnesses, how they interfere and impact and the interplay with the mind, right? And all of those things are really important. I think yeah, you get a little bit of a different sense of depression and anxiety and some of those kind of medical illnesses and and where the where that interplay is. You have the ability to prescribe medications, which again, as we talked about, can be very useful in certain instances. So um, I think that that's part of the differences from a practical standpoint. For me, where it plays out is that when I'm working with an athlete, and I'm working with them individually, I'm just the way that I'm trained and the way that I've been trained is I really look at the entire system. I look at the family system. I look at the developmental system. I look at the learning system. Um, I look at, you know, different experiences they've had, injuries, concussions, surgeries, all of those things I really look at and evaluate because I know that that impacts the brain, right? And so then when we get to sort of why they're there, I have a better sense of all these things and other medications they might be taking for other issues um, and how that interfects their mental performance and their mindset and mental health and all of those things. And so it allows me, I think, to have, in my opinion, a, a more comprehensive, complete experience. And that's not to diminish what a psychologist is able to do or not do, right? But then as I'm working with somebody, if there is an issue that needs to be treated like major depression or an anxiety disorder, that can become part of treatment. And it's really then, you know, it's just part of the evolution of us working together. We don't have to stop and say, well, I can't do this next part. You have to go to somebody else. And I think that's hard, right? When an athlete comes to you and they're working with you and they build a relationship and a rapport and trust and you're making progress, but you hit a little bit of a roadblock and then you have to say, look, I can't go any further with you or I need to send you to somebody else, that can be really, really demoralizing and discouraging. The ability that I have, given my background and my knowledge and my degree, frankly, is to be able to use that as part of the treatment. Say, look, here's where we are. Here's what I think. Here's some other options that we can consider and we can continue to work together and do all that. And I think that sort of, hey, I'm going to walk on this journey with you type thing and I got you and I know what we need to do and I'm going to do it with you helps with, you know, buy-in and compliance and trust and all that stuff is so important 
again, when we're talking about the mind, your belief system is incredibly important. So I think that's where I've seen my ability to have an impact really, really plays out. Um, the other thing I'll say, which has nothing to do with the degree, but it has to do with more of a degree in life is being a division one athlete and continuing to compete and train and do a lot of variety of different competitions and endurance events. That also allows me a certain amount of relatability and credibility where they're saying, look, not only does this guy get it because of what he studied in school and yeah, he was an athlete before, but he's continuing to train today. And so that to me, I think is probably the degree that I'm most proud of is the fact that I'm still an athlete and that that dedication and frankly, accountability to sports and to athletics and to training allows me to connect with these young people in a way that I think a lot of other providers, whether they're psychologists or psychiatrists or sports medicine docs or surgeons, don't always have the ability to do because they've, they've chosen not to. Yeah, no, plain and simple. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dr. T. Having some kind of athletic background when working with athletes is, I wouldn't say it's a requirement, but it is one of the things that makes such a big difference because, as you mentioned, they find you relatable. I think that they're more trusting when they talk to you because they know that you've been in similar situations. And I think that you as a provider get a deeper sense of what that person is going through because you might have seen yourself in a similar spot at one point. Now, you mentioned about having the background in medical school and having the benefit of learning about a variety of different types of illnesses and procedures and that sort of thing. And for me, in the physical therapy route, I see a lot of injured athletes. And I would say probably the most common injury I see in high-level athletes is knee injuries, ACL, meniscus, something along those lines. And those are all very grueling and mentally challenging to recover from. Forget the physical stuff for a second. It is difficult to go through nine to 12 months of rehab and nine to 12 months of being away from your sport and not being able to engage with your team the same way that you might. And, you know, sitting on the sidelines while you're watching practices and games and that sort of thing. I was working with someone recently who, unfortunately, they had to sit out uh, due to an injury and they were sh uh, telling me about, you know, how big of a win their team had just gotten and that sort of thing. And just how they felt disconnected because they weren't on the field. They weren't suited up. They weren't with the team at the time. Um, and I feel like those mental challenges that people face recovering from a physical injury are not discussed enough. So you being who you are and having your background as both a medical provider and a former athlete yourself, what can you kind of share and offer for those who are recovering from difficult injuries, such as an ACL or meniscus tear, maybe both, um, who have had to face challenges like those that I just outlined? Yeah, I think I think it's a great point. It's a great question. Um, you know, when we think of injury recovery, there's you know there's four stages to injury recovery, right? There's the acute injury, there's the rehab process, there's a return to play, and then there's ultimately departure from sports. Um, we can usually clearly kind of define those and explain those when it comes to physical injury, right? So if somebody has an ACL and they go see the trainer, the physical therapist, or the surgeon, usually they say, okay, like, here's what happened to your knee. Here's the intervention that we're going to do. Here's what the rehab is going to look like. And here's when you can expect to come back. And here's what you can do and what you can't do, right? And then, you know, you guide them through it. And so there's, I think what's very helpful about that is they sort of have an understanding, even though they may not understand physiology to that level, or they may not have, you know, had an in, a knee injury in the past, 
they kind of understand, okay, like I know what happened and you're explaining to me like certain things happen and they, this is why it's not working and why it's hurting. And this is what you're going to do to fix it. And this is what it's going to look like. And, you know, the six to nine months and the benchmarks and, and so you kind of know what to expect. And what's helpful about that is that reduces a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty, right? And that's very helpful. What we don't do is we don't understand or explain as well that there are also psychological and emotional stages to injury recovery. And with each of those physical stages, there's typical emotions and experiences and things that we need to focus on, right? And I think one of the things that I do that is really, really helpful, I think, is really helping explain to the athlete what they're going through, but also asking their understanding. Because sometimes, again, you see the the athletic trainer or the sports medicine doc or even the physical therapist and they say, okay, like, you know, you see it a bunch. So you know what happened. You're like, oh, so you tore your ACL and here's what we're going to do and da, 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 da. But that person has it. And so they may have a lot of questions. So, or they may truly not understand and we don't always take the time. So sometimes I'm like, man, tell me what happened. And they're like, well, you know, I was pivoting and I was cutting. I was like, all right. So like, what's your understanding though of like what happened to your knee? Well, I understand this. Okay. Like what's your understanding of the intervention? Well, they're going to do this. And that helps us get a lot of questions because sometimes then I can answer those questions or I can even help them develop questions that they can ask their support system. So part of it is helping them giving a different perspective of somebody that's going to like take a step back with them and say, all right, like let's walk through this and let's understand what you know, what you don't know, and how can we fill in those gaps and how can we answer those questions? Because again, knowledge can be power when it's done the right way. That's one thing. I think the other thing then is educating them about what to expect psychologically and emotionally. Because a lot of times once their surgery is over and they're like, all right, I'm in the recovery, they're like, focus on the recovery. And then when they start to experience certain emotions that they're not prepared for understanding, they're like, why is this happening? Why am I feeling sad? Like, I don't know why I'm waking up crying every day. And that becomes really, really hard. Now, if you're trying to focus on your physical recovery and now you have these like emotional, psychological obstacles, but you're not even understanding what's happening. So again, rather than then saying, oh, well, it sounds like you're struggling. Let's go talk to somebody. Again, along the way, helping them address that. So that's another thing is really helping them understand the emotional, psychological stages of injury recovery, what to expect, how it's going to present, what's typical, what's atypical. I don't use the word normal anymore. I think it's a normal is a very abnormal word. Um, so what's typical, what's atypical. Then there are certain things also that we can help teach them to do that can actually help stimulate injury recovery. So when we talk about like visualization, for example, there's a connection between your mind and your body, right? And so when we activate the mind, we can actually send signals to those muscles to be able to train not only in a way of helping facilitate recovery, but also being able to keep up with some of those skills that you can't actively train because you're off the field. And that can make a big difference. And I've had some athletes that have recovered quicker, much quicker than their sort of timeline suggested. And they're like, wow, like the only thing I'm doing differently is I'm adding in what you taught me. And again, that's incredibly validating and empowering and motivating and all those things. So helping them with that is really, really important. And then I would say the fourth thing, I mean, there's a lot of things, but to simplify it, the fourth thing is really, like you said, is they feel disconnected and finding ways for them to re-engage and be connected, not just with their team, but with themselves. Because as an athlete, you're so focused on your sport that you kind of disengage from yourself and who you are and other things you're interested in. And then all of a sudden you have this time, but you don't know what to do with it. And I think sometimes in our attempt to be helpful, we're like, well, why don't you just pick up a new hobby or why don't you just do this? And they're like, I don't want to do that. I want to play. Like, so helping them identify not just what it means in redefining and defining sometimes for the first time their relationship with themselves and who they are independent of their sport, 
which is so valuable. But again, then using those things to be able to empower them and find ways where they can be engaged. Some of that I think involves talking with coaches about like, can some of these kids run drills? Can they also participate? Can they coach some of the younger kids? Because when you find a way for them to be active and participate, then when you have a big win, they don't feel so disconnected. They feel like they were a part of it, right? When you're in practice and you know everybody rolls into the training room afterwards and they're high-fiving, man, that was a sick practice, blah, blah, blah. And you're sitting there like, yeah, I'm still here icing my knee. like, And they're like, oh, we're going to go get food afterwards. You want to join us? And you're like, no, not really. And they're like, all right, cool. We'll see you later. You just feel more marginalized. But if you were in that practice and you were helping run drills, you were even able to see like, yeah, good job on that hustle, man. I love the way you did that. Like, we all have a lot to learn from different angles and different viewpoints, and we need to understand that. So as coaches, as athletes, if we understand that and we can be a part of that, then we also, when we come back, we're not as far behind. In fact, sometimes we're even further ahead because now physically we've recovered, but now mentally we've looked at learning from a different angle, a different viewpoint. We've participated in the skills and the drills in a different way. And you know, mentally we've done some work. No, definitely. And Dr. T, everything you just shared there was amazing. There was actually something I just wrote down uh, for my own notes here. One of the things you've talked about a lot here uh, throughout the podcast has been goals. And I always set goals for my patients in physical therapy, but I usually set them, you know, weeks out like, hey, you know, at this point, we'll be doing this, this point, we'll be doing that. And I realized that it would be really, I, I feel it would be really empowering for my patients who are recovering from some of these procedures to even break it up into smaller steps, like week by week and say, hey, look, you know, you're currently on a table recovering from an ACL reconstruction, you can't walk. But, you know, this week, we're going to do 30 reps of this exercise by the end of the week. Next week, we're going to do 50 reps. The following week, we're going to be taking our first steps and kind of slowly building it up for people. Because I think for a lot of athletes who are recovering from these injuries, we focus so much on the major milestones, right? Like the first time they get to walk and then the first time they get to run and then the first day they get to go back to sport that we often forget a lot of the smaller steps along the journey. Like there is so much value in getting your fur, like your full range of motion of your knee back following a surgical procedure. And yet for some reason we forget about that in exchange for, well, now we're finally walking or there's so much value in hitting your first time doing something as simple like a box jump. Even if it's only three or four inches off the ground, your first time doing that after recovering from a procedure, there's so much value in that. And yet we look completely to the wayside when that happens and say, well, we're not running yet or we're not here yet. We're not at the major milestone yet. Um, and that was something that I just took away. And I wish that was included more in our own schooling because, you know, as we're talking here, these injuries are just as difficult to recover from mentally as they are physically. And I mean, I've even seen athletes who have had multiple injuries like this occur. So ACL retear, meniscus retear. And I would imagine for, you know, individuals like that, that whole process even becomes more difficult now that it's their second or maybe even third time going through the same thing. Yeah, no, Dan, I think there's a couple of things you said that I, I feel like I got to jump on. One is this idea, like we're so outcome product oriented, right? And we have these goals that are like further away. And And the problem with that is, we don't set things smaller. So I think the idea of setting smaller, shorter term goals, like even within a week, two weeks is so important because 
that gets more buy-in and it's you know more achievable in that short term and helps keep us engaged. The other thing I would say though, there's two two other things I would say about that. One is you said that like I'll set these goals for them. And I think that's important, but then ask them how they think about it. What do you think? Like, what does that sound like to you? Because if they buy in and they say, well, actually, what about this? Or what about this? Now it's more of a collaborative relationship. You're going to get more buy-in. And I think a lot of times patients look to their providers to say, you'll be doing this by then. You'll be doing this by then. But it's so external. And so when they feel like they can't get there, it it number one, it feeds into now they're like, wow, I'm letting that person down because I'm not going based on what they said. And maybe that's what everybody else is doing. But I also think it's less intrinsic. So getting them to buy in, but then also saying, all right, so in the next week, our goal is to get you doing this. And then go a step further and give them a process. Like, so this is how we're going to do it, right? And these are the three steps that you're going to be doing that's going to help us accomplish that goal. So every day, you know, you're going to be walking from, you know, whatever, here to there. Every day you're going to be doing whatever. And so when you give those reps and those sets, like you said, and you explain to them that this is the process to get to that, then they know, oh, I know what to do. And that again, stimulates and engages the brain because the brain is now learning. Mm -hmm. And that then the brain releases dopamine, which is the chemical that helps with motivation, effort, attention, all those things. And so we set it up where now they have a plan and they know what to do and it's a lot easier to execute. And so they're more likely to reach that goal and then be like, oh, that was amazing. I did that in a week. What's next? Like, what are we doing this week, doc? And it's like, well, this week, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And you come up with a plan. Here's the process. Awesome. I'll see you next week. And then they start being like, oh, I want to beat this. Like, And it becomes one of these things where you start to tap into their competitive spirit and kind of their mindset to be like, well, I'm accomplishing goals. What else can I accomplish? And then before you know it, you're walking before whatever the goal was. And you don't even realize that that's where you are because you've been really just working through the process. And those are two things that I think those are the only two kind of adjustments I would make. If you give me that, give me that privilege of, of, yeah, of doing course. that, because I think yeah. then you have a very clear plan. Then you ask them, so what do you think about this? You get their buy-in again at the end. So you've set the goal. It's a short-term goal. You've asked them what they think. You've allowed their input. You've created a process. And then you've sort of summarized with them and said, what do you think? Have a plan. And then that little conversation now, you know you're on the same page with them. And when you send them out the door, you're not wondering like, man, I hope they stick to the plan. I hope they're compliant. Like, man, I really hope this works. Like, you know it's going to because- you laid it out. Right. And you shift the locus of control back to them. Because... Which is so important because they've <laughs> lost something that's so important, which is their ability to play or compete or walk. And they feel out of control. And we got to find ways to help them feel in control. And so if we shift that locus of control, and we give them things that they can do and achieve, it feeds into that sense of self, right? And that's incredibly important in recovery. As you just mentioned, having total control over your situation when you've lost control due to something like an injury is essential. Earlier, you mentioned the process of return to sport following an injury. And you mentioned the term departure from sport. And I know that a lot of athletes, especially some of the senior college athletes that I work with, that's a scary thought for them to be leaving something that they've kind of focused most of their identity on, at least for a majority of their life thus far. How do you go about working with an athlete or how should an athlete, I, I guess there's not one right or wrong way, but how would you want or look for an athlete to approach that conversation and topic of departure from sport? And for lack of a better way to put it, closing a bit of a chapter on one uh, part of their 
book of life. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think part of it is understanding throughout these conversations and everything we're doing when we're working with people is understanding we want to maximize the time that you're playing your sport and optimize your performance during that time and allow you to be your best. If we understand that this doesn't last forever, then number one, we may be more intentional about the effort we put in now versus thinking like, I got this tomorrow, I'll work harder or the next day I'll work harder, right? Like that's the other thing. But also when you help them create an identity outside of sport, while it might be scary to think about, it actually helps reinforce their sense of self. And now not everything is tied into the sport, which again is very important because if you only identify as a football player or a wrestler or a baseball player or whatever, like if you're not doing well in that sport, in that moment, now you're not doing well in life, right? And who are you? And I think that's, and then there's more pressure and there's more anxiety and then we force it and we make more mistakes and then we play worse, right? So I think helping them understand that this understanding that there is life after sport and we want to sort of help you understand who you are independent of your sport and why that's actually going to help you maximize your performance for the time you're here. Again, I think you have to explain the why and the purpose of it is we're not saying, hey, we think you're going to be done playing sports sooner than you think you're going to be done. No, we're just understanding the reality of it is that everybody's career ends at some point in that realm. And if we sort of understand how to approach it and how to prepare for that. It doesn't have to be the number one topic of conversation every single day, but just understand like how to take care of your body because like, yeah, it's important that you want to be your best, but like you're going to also like need to like be a dad or a mom or a husband or a wife or even like want to get things off like the top shelf. And if you can't move your arm and you continue to grind it in, not only is your career going to be cut short, but then your ability to do basic human functioning tasks is going to be limited, right? So like, let's be smart about this. Like, this is why we want to do rest. This is what, why we want to do recovery. This is why we want to do your flexibility, mobility, not only so you can be able to throw the ball faster and harder while you're playing, but also so that you can do it longer and even be able to play in the backyard with your kid, right? Like it, explaining what the purpose is, is so important. And then it becomes less of a scary thing. And like, nah, doc, I don't want to talk about that. Like I'm going to play forever. All right, man. Like, you're not going to play forever, but like, why are you so scared to talk about it? Let's talk about why you're so scared and let's sort of figure out like the ability to, by addressing it now, we don't have to fear it and we have a plan. Again, it comes back to a plan. We have a plan and we don't have to fear it. And now you have that control over your future. So let's now focus on what we can do now because that like uncertainty of like every snap has to be the most important snap of my life. Otherwise, I'm not going to make the team, which means I'm not going to make a, a living and I'm not going to be able to support my family. Like that's a lot of pressure. And so it helps alleviate the pressure. It helps sort of give more knowledge of the landscape. And again, I didn't make the stages of injury recovery. That's one of them. So if it's one of them, instead of saying, let's hope it never happens to us, why don't we just understand it's going to happen and actually come up with a plan and understand it and educate ourselves. And I think that's going to be really validating and empowering and inspiring. Yeah, completely agree. And as you mentioned, and using yourself as an example, even you can have such great carryover from your sport into the rest of your life. And what you do in sport can literally lay the foundation for you to have such a impact on so many other people later in life. Um, so kind of looking at the sport as not just something you're doing right now, but almost like a foundation to build off of for the rest of your life. I mean, the characteristics and qualities that you learn engaging in any sport uh, really teach you so much about the game of life. 
Um, as we start to wrap up here, there is one thing that I really want to get across and I would love your input on it is, you know, there's a lot of athletes that have talked about different things with me and they ask for, you know, who to go to for help and that sort of thing. But there's some that have seemed almost scared to ask for help. And, you know, some have said, you know, like there's like a stigma or they don't want to be known as the athlete on their team who's going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever to help them with their mental health as it relates to sports performance or illness or whatever that way. Um, is there any kind of advice or insight or anything you can offer to those listening today who might find themselves in those shoes? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I think when we think, if we think of mental health as addressing a problem, then nobody wants to have a problem. If mm -hmm. we think of it as like, oh, if you're struggling, it's okay to get help. Nobody wants to be struggling, right? Like nobody, like nobody wants to think like that. They don't want to be like that, right? They don't want to feel weak. And frankly, I think the way we talk about it, we make it seem like if you're feeling weak or you're feeling vulnerable or you're struggling, it's okay not to be okay. That's what we say. And I've always said like, well, why, why can't it be okay to be okay? Why can't it be okay to be great? Right. We talked earlier in this conversation about the fact that like, when you look at the top level athletes, the ones that separate the great ones, like the exceptional ones from the rest of them is mindset. And we talked about the fact that it can help you with confidence. It can help you with performance. It can help you become more resilient, which is to me a better word than mental toughness. But if you can get mentally tougher, since that's what people like to say, you can become more confident. You can optimize your performance. You can play at a higher level. And frankly, you can train in a way that a lot of people are not willing to train and that's going to set you apart. Why wouldn't you do it? Like, why wouldn't you do it? Like, you know, people know, man, if I get up at 4am and I work with a personal trainer, I get an extra workout in, I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to be better than other people. And that's why you see athletes getting up. College athletes at this point in time have no problem getting up at four or five in the clock in the morning to get a workout in, right? Because they know I'm getting stronger. I'm getting better. And we have to define and help these athletes understand that mental health and mindset training is not about dealing with a problem, right? In fact, if it's done correctly and optimally, it's something that's going to actually help you avoid problems and limit the chance of problems. And if a problem does exist, you're going to know what to do and how to manage it. And again, like you're tapping into the most important muscle and organ in your body that affects everything else. And if you can get an edge on all the rest of the competition and it doesn't involve more physical strain on your body, but it would actually enhance your body's performance, why wouldn't you do it? And that would be sort of my advice is shifting the way that we think about it and the language and the way we think about it. And in that case, I think more athletes will be like, oh, so you're telling me, doc, I can actually get stronger and faster and play better. And when they come and see me, I'm like, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And then they see it. And two weeks later, they're like, I just got better in two weeks of working with you than I have in two years of working on this skill. That to me is very, very clear, right? Or my last event of the day, I just crushed it and I hit a PR after talking with you and having you kind of reframe and give me a couple of skills and things to focus on. And that's like two examples of many examples of people that I've had. You know, I have athletes now, they're like, my teammates are like, when's your next session with Dr. T? Like, what are you going to do like this? You know, I just have a lacrosse player. She scored five goals in her first game. And, you know, 
the next, you know, people on our team are like, when's, when's your next session with Dr. T? Like how many goals are you going to score this week? Right. And like, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I'm meeting with them next week. This is what we're talking about. And like, that's really, really cool when other people have seen that like, oh, you're playing out of your mind. And then you're like, oh yeah, it's because, you know, I'm working on all these things, but I also see Dr. T then it becomes reinforcing and validating, but people have to be willing to work at it, man. You got to put the time and the effort in. It's not just something like you pick up a book and you tell yourself, I got this and you got it. It's not like that. Right. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's an essential takeaway in itself is no matter what you're pursuing in life, there has to be some element of sweat equity. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come overnight. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of repetition, but I think it's essential to note that that repetition is not going to be wasted and you will see progress. You just have to put the time in and be willing to run through the process over and over and over again. So Dr. T, as we start to wrap up here, uh, for people listening and they want to check out more about you or find you online, where can they find you at? Totally. I appreciate it. So Mindset Training Institute, you can Google Mindset Training Institute or go to mindsettraininginstitute.com. And that's my website. It tells you more about me, what sets me apart, kind of what I offer. Um, my Instagram is at Dr. T underscore sports psych. So it's Dr. Period T underscore S-P-O-R-T-S-P-S-Y-C-H. What's cool about there is you'll see what I'm up to, but I also like post my workouts and like, you know, I'm training for an event called hell on the hill coming up in Maine. I did one in September. Like I'm out there doing it. I'm grinding it. So like, you know, help motivate me and let me motivate you. Um, my podcast is called the mindset experience. It's a great opportunity to kind of hear from high level, mostly athletes, but also entrepreneurs, business people, people with different challenges. And again, not just hear their stories, but hear me kind of get into their heads, if you will, and learn about what makes them tick. And so a lot of them have come away and been like, man, that was the best therapy session ever. And you can kind of sit in on these therapy sessions when, uh, you know, with confidentiality in this day and age, you can't really get, but to get access to like kind of seeing a professional break down an athlete and dissect an athlete and what they're doing and how to improve and teaching them things that they didn't know about their own game. It's a really cool opportunity to learn. So those are the three main sites that, uh, that you can check me out. Awesome. We will link to all of that below. So if you didn't quite catch that, you can check out everything that Dr. T is doing on social media and online and over on his podcast. Dr. T, it was really a pleasure having you. Thank you again for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you've liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.